Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode is Great American Jewish Cities Borough Park Part 2. And this episode has been generously sponsored by a friend and supporter of Jewish History Soundbites who wants to take the opportunity at the start of the new year to express his gratitude to Jewish History Soundbites by sponsoring an episode, and this part of the dedication, I asked him if we can skip it, but he insisted that I include it, so the sponsor would further like to recommend that others take the opportunity to go ahead and uh, sponsor an episode as well. Um, we have part two of our Borough Park uh, episode and part one was very well received and got a lot of great feedback. So I decided to start off this episode with a reading, uh, just a, a sampling, you know, a couple, three, four, if we have time, uh, letters, which I thought would be of interest to our listeners and add a lot of uh, details and color to the Borough Park uh, story and history. And um, it's just, again, I chose out a, a carefully a few of the ones that I found I thought would be interesting. So here goes one of the letters I got. A little bit lengthy, but very, very interesting. Um, here it goes. Borough Park was, as you described, a more modern, modern Orthodox, well-to-do community, not particularly religious. Modern community, excuse me. More modern, well-to-do community, not particularly religious. My great-grandfather came to Borough Park in 1923 from Vienna. He was a Hasidish Yid who davened in Shemri Amuna but felt out of place. One story I heard was my great-grandfather was told not to put his talus over his head, as this was not done in America. If he wanted, he could wear a hat. He gathered like-minded Hasidic Jews of different denominations from the streets of Borough Park who felt similarly out of place, and they all agreed to establish, establish a Hasidic shtibel in 1924 or 1925. As far as what I heard... This was certainly one of the first such shuls in Borough Park. They named it Sfas Emes since among the group there were a few Polish Jews who were Gerich Hasidim. That shul still exists today on 42nd Street and off of 13th Avenue. The name would prove to be a problem. They were going to open up for the first Rosh Hashanah and they got together pre-opening to discuss the Tfilos and they had their first argument. The Galicianer Hasidim wanted to say all of the Yitzris. And the Polish Gerich Hasidim wanted to say none. They were afraid to break up. Uh, they were ready, excuse me, they were ready to break up until my great-grandfather suggested that they would write a letter to the Ger Rebbe and ask him what to do. They wrote a letter explaining the situation and the Rebbe responded, some say and some don't say. And for the sake of Shalom, he instructed his Hasidim to go ahead and recite the Yotzris. Today the shul has become a true Gerish so I imagine that they no longer say the Yotzers. My father told me growing up you couldn't wear a yarmulke in the streets without getting harassed by other secular Jews, and he would walk around with a cap. I remember growing up that it was scandalous to wear a talus over your jacket. You had to wear it underneath and tuck it into your pants. Boy, have things changed. Another point you mentioned was the establishment of the Shemri Shabbos shul, built upon membership only for Shemri Shabbos people. I remember even as late as the mid-1960s, the shul played a role in fostering Shemir's Shabbos. They had a display of a Shabbos table, candles, kiddush cup, on the back of a flatbed truck. In Erev Shabbos, it would ride around the streets of Borough Park, 
playing Shabbos songs and reminding people that Shabbos was coming. I also remember that one Shabbos in the mid-60s, walking to 13th Avenue after davening with other members of the Bar Park Jewish community, where we joined other shuls walking down 13th Avenue singing to remind all the open Jewish store owners that it was Shabbos. It's hard to believe that there were a fair number of open Jewish stores in Bar Park even in the mid-60s. That is a fantastic uh, memory, and uh, I think it adds a lot. Here's another one, um, quoting again part of a letter. I would like to make one correction. Joe Kamenetsky was not a Borough Park native. He was born in East New York, and his father moved the family to Brownsville, which is really right next to East New York and is basically the same neighborhood, so that he could attend Chaim Berlin. He actually sold the house so that he could afford tuition. Sometimes one reads about these things and wonders if it was worth the whole effort, and here it ended up changing Torah history in America. Again, another great point. Okay, move on to another great great point, which I totally missed, um, and it's good that someone pointed it out. Um, here it goes. There was something that you said that was quite ironic. You mentioned that Chernobyl didn't continue as a dynasty in Borough Park because sending your child to Tells is a good way to end the Hasidic dynasty. The obvious irony of that is that in Borough Park itself, the Munkach dynasty that was already dead was rejuvenated by someone who's learned in Tells. And that's, that, was his, that was the point. And uh, it's a great irony, and I missed it myself. And that's, the, that's the problem when you do these things in two parts. In part two, you're going to hear uh, about Munkach, and I even mentioned that the Munkach Rebbe before he became the new Rebbe, studied in Tells, and I missed the irony in that, in the fact that in part one I mentioned that the opposite happened in Chernobyl. So when you're going to listen to it later on in this episode, say to yourself, hey, that's ironic, and then we can move on. Um, another point here was the 14th Avenue Aguda. Um, the listener submitted, um, I'm not quoting it word for word here, but the the general overview of his letter was that there were three minyanim in the 14th Avenue Aguda. There was a Pirche minyan for the younger ones, and that's the Ire Aguda for the, you know, the next level, and then the regular main minyan. And when uh, when he was in the Pirche minyan, the listener said that the young Tzire uh, member who was in charge of the Pirche minyan was a young man by the name of Rabbi Sroel Reisman, and he was in charge of the Pirche minyan. So that's the memories he has of Borough Park. And he added that on Simchas Torah, at the end of the Hakafis, all three of the Aguda Minyanim would join with the Sfar de Shashul, which I mentioned in part one, and they would make the Hakafis together, making Simchas Torah a very memorable event in Borough Park. That's just uh, um, you know a few letters, and I wanted to mention that last one because I neglected to talk about the 14th Avenue Aguda, so at least we got to mention that as well. Um, Again, in the news, it's always good to tie current events to history. So I noticed in the news that the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, died the other day. And she was Jewish, of course. And she grew up in Brooklyn. So it relates to our Borough Park episode, a Jew from Brooklyn who reached the Supreme Court. She grew up in Flatbush, actually, not in Borough Park, but not far away. And uh, and she was part of a conservative shul in, uh, in what was then called Midwood, but Flatbush. Her father was from Odessa, um, and she was rejected for a clerkship 
um, when she graduated Columbia Law, she was rejected for uh, for a clerkship from the Jewish Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. I guess that's the latest in a long string of uh, of German Jews rejecting the Eastern European Jews. But apparently, it was because of her gender, because she was a woman. Um, Interestingly enough, the Supreme Court on their documents or whatever, something that you had to sign, they had inscribed on their certificates in the year of our Lord, Anto Domini, A.D., the year of our Lord. Now, Orthodox Jews uh, were not happy about that, and Orthodox Jews lobbied uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, to object to uh, the fact that it had to be written on a year of our Lord, and she went ahead and objected, and because of her objection, Supreme Court uh, have since given other choices of how to inscribe the year on their certificates. So there's something to her credit uh, directly related to Orthodox Jews. Um, we're going to move right now into part two of Borough Park, Great American Jewish Cities, part two, Borough Park. Enjoy. A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimsbare Brüder in America. So kauten Schabes at the guitar. Out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish. Children who were made to be cut Whoever heard such beautiful words? It is never too little. It is never too late. And it is never enough. Jewish history soundbites bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. So, here we are, Yehuda Geber, back with uh, part two. This is Jewish History Soundbites, and we are on the great American Jewish cities, Borough Park, part two. We left off part one talking about the old shuls and uh, educational institutions. We talked about Beis Yaakov and Shalamis. Uh, in the 1950s and 60s, the neighborhood is changing. It was still somewhat a modern Orthodox community, but there were already many shtiblach, many Hasidic rabbis and rebbes were coming in. There was already the Chernobyl rabbi I mentioned that had come earlier. There was already the Liska rebbe, Rabbi Friedlander, who was also around, and the Segetarov, who later became the Satmar rebbe, and many, many other Rebbes were starting to come in. Young Israel Borough Park at the time was in the in its prime. Uh, davening started Shabbos morning at the Young Israel at 8.45. If you walked in at 9 a.m., you didn't have a seat. Simchas Torah in those days, the greatest place to be, was in Borough Park for Simchas Torah. Um, a a uh, story I heard from a listener um, was that he, in, that he went to a camp in, up in upstate New York, and two people came over to him, and immediately, this is the 1960s, um, and immediately after introducing themselves, they say, I hear you live in Borough Park. Can we come to you for Simchas Tyre? Because they heard about the Borough Park Simchas Tyre. And, uh, you know, we, the, 
the, and then he ends off, I'm reading from his letter he wrote, this listener, um, I can only imagine how many shidduchim came to fruition from marking down, marching up and down 14th Avenue on Shabbos afternoon, let alone Simchas Torah. So you have the, the Simchas Torah atmosphere of Borough Park at that time. First kosher pizza, I don't know if it was in the world, in Borough Park, in Brooklyn, I don't know what the record books say, was Mendelssohn's Pizza, opens in 1969. In fact, uh, the Chernobyl Rebetzin, when I mentioned I spoke to her granddaughter, and uh, she said to me that her grandmother always tried to convince her to eat gefilte fish, and she hated gefilte fish. So one day she gave up, and uh, Bobby gave up, and she gave her some money and says, Gay kaifa bissel pizza, go buy some pizza. You can, she, once, that's it, you can become American and eat pizza. Mayor Mendelssohn was anything but a regular pizza shop owner. He was a Gerich Hasid, originally from Warsaw. And originally, before he was a pizza shop owner, he was a Rosh Hashiva by the Klosenberger Rebbe and, and a Mashgiach also, but he needed some more money. So he opens, he opens uh, Rosh Hashanah time. So again, the anniversary is around now, about 51 years ago. He's originally from Warsaw, and he attended Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin and had smicha from Rabbi Menachem Zemba. Again, I don't know how many uh, pizza store owners can boast uh, of that. He escapes at the beginning of the war to Eretz Yisrael, where he becomes close with the Chazaynish. And then eventually he has to open this pizza store to pay off his debts. When he finishes paying off his debts, he retires. He has his children take over the business, so it stays in the Mendelssohn family. He retires and moves back to uh, Israel, where he becomes a rabbi in Ramot. An amazing career. Another Borough Park landmark is Maimonides Hospital. An amazing place. It evolved several times with different names. It's originally founded in 1911. In 1920, it becomes the Israel Zion Hospital after a merger. And it's a Jewish hospital founded by Jews in the community. Members of the old shuls, who I mentioned in part one, were involved in the establishment and the funding. It merges again in 1947. And it's renamed after the Rambam, who was a doctor, which is, which is common. There are Hospitals around the world, a hospital, a very prominent hospital in Haifa in Israel called the Rambam Hospital. And medical history has been made at Maimonides Hospital. The first commercial pacemaker was developed in a lab in Maimonides in 1961. And a few years later, in 1967, a Jewish doctor and World War II veteran, Dr. Adrian Kantorovich, performed the second heart transplant in the world and the first one in the United States at Maimonides Hospital, a very prominent. And one, another famous uh, Bar Park uh, landmark is Beagle Eyes and Sfarm Store. Bar Park has a lot of uh, Sfarm stores. Eichler's is a historic and legendary Sfarm store, and Zundel Berman and other places, but Beagle Eisen's is special. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Beagle Eisen was a Sfarm seller in Galicia. He was a Belzer Hasid. He used to buy the Sfarm for the Rebbe Rabbi Sacher Daiv. And he settles in Borough Park in the 1920s. And he um, becomes a Swarm seller out of his house with his son, Yaker, and the, uh, from their home in Borough Park. And Yaker also was involved in founding the Belzer Stiebel, the first Belzer Stiebel in Borough Park. And he, this original uh, Beagleisens remains in their Borough Park home. That's where they sell the books from for close to three decades. In 1951, it moves into a real store on the Lower East Side. And then another three decades pass before it moves back to Borough Park, and they opened the store that you know famous around the world till today. 
and Rabbi Acher passes away, and his son, the legendary Shlomi Bigelizen, who just passed away this year, uh, not long ago, a few months ago, takes over, and he's not just a Sfarim store uh, owner or seller, he was someone who lived it and breathed it and was world-renowned for it by Sfarim lovers and bibliograph uh, geniuses and around the world acknowledged his mastery of the field. Um, and I had the privilege of studying with a couple of his grandchildren in the Mir Yeshiva, and I heard all about Shlomi Begalizen and the history of the Begalizen's farm store firsthand. Um, what we have also in Borough Park, interestingly, um, at, at this later period of time, is that there's this neo-Hasidic underground in the 1970s going on at Borough Park. It's a great article by Shol Magid in Tablet. You can find it online uh, about this really odd, interesting fellow, David Din, who started this B'nai Heichala group, and it was part of the neo-Hasidic, you know, post-60s, you know, spiritual searching movement. And it was in Borough Park and very different, kind of on the fringes of society there. And uh, a very interesting story of them interacting with the mainstream Hasidic community of Borough Park and and and, uh, and uh, not really integrating at all, but uh, just an interesting uh, subscript uh, of of the ma- not of the mainstream uh, Borough Park Jewish community at the time. If we shift in, that brings us to the 1970s, actually. So if we shift into um, the third period of time, we talk about in part one, we talked about the pre-war, we talked about the immediate post-war in the 1950s and 60s. We move to the 1970s uh, to the present time. Um, again, we're not going to get too close to the present, uh, not, not really contemporary, but just the historical overview when we look around Borough Park today, any time you walk around, and it's a Hasidic neighborhood. And it's a primarily a Hasidic neighborhood with literally hundreds of shtibels and shuls and rebbes and many dynasties. Their headquarters are there. And, and many of the great Hasidic tzaddikim and rebbes lived there or still live there or their dynasties continue there. It is the center, the epicenter of the Hasidic movement, what once was in Warsaw or other great cities as centers of Hasidus, um, now is Borough Park, without question, especially outside of the land of Israel. Um, how did that takeover take place? So first there's this shift um, in the, from Lower East Side, uh, from Williamsburg even more so, and then later from Crown Heights, so the 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 degenerate the, it became a you know a, a problematic neighborhood. We 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 talked about that story in a in our Crown Heights episode, um, and as the neighborhood degenerated, many shifted over, which was not that far away, to Borough Park. Um, for example, one of the most prominent ones and one of the biggest presences that you have till today in Borough Park is the Babov Hasidic community. The Baba of a Rebbe of Shleim Um he arrives in the late 1960s. He escapes from Crown Heights as the neighborhood is going bad and changing. And he comes to Borough Park like many others at that time. And he becomes a major force. He becomes a major presence in, in Borough Park, if not the major presence. He could probably say that he was the most dominant and charismatic Hasidic leader and figure living in Borough Park and establishing his headquarters there during that time, and uh, and uh, and you know, and you see the results today. It's so big that it's two of them, and he rebuilt there. 
I remember when I was a child, and I grew up in Muncie, and it, it was one of the Cholomite trips that we would look forward to was to go to to Borough Park to visit the Baba Rebbe and to see the great Baba of Beis Medrash, the massive, huge Beis Medrash, and the sukkah, it was a big, tremendous sukkah with all kinds of decorated, and to experience the uh, vibes and the ambiance of uh, Borough Park streets on, on Cholomite sukkahs. Um, so there's literally tens of, of the big uh, Hasidic leaders and tzaddikim who moved to Bar Park over the years, but uh, I don't know if anyone can match the success uh, with the Baba Varebbe, Shleim HaBushtam, and, and then how he was able to uh, establish himself there. Another example is, and again, I'm only bringing a few examples to get a feel for how uh, the Hasidic movement developed in Bar Park. If I were to profile every single one, it would never end, literally. So please don't uh, get insulted if you notice that I didn't mention your favorite Rebbe. Um, but I'm just uh, giving a few uh, isolated examples. Uh, the revival of the Munkach Hasidic dynasty takes place in Borough Park. In the early 1960s, the current Munkach Rebbe, Ramesha Yehudalei Rabinovich, who was the child of Rabbarach Rabinovich, who was the son-in-law of the Minchas Elazar, Rabbi Chaim Elazar of Munkach, the famous Munkach Rebbe, the pre-war Munkach Rebbe. So his son, Rabbarach, who we discussed in the episode about Rabbarach Rabinovich, he left his leadership of Munkach in a whole process, in a whole story. You could check out that episode. And at some point, his son, Ramesh Yudalev, goes to study at the Tal's Yeshiva in Cleveland. His father was a rabbi in South America at the time. And uh, eventually he's in Beis Medrash Elyon. And then he gets married. And the older Munkach Hasidim, in Brooklyn, they decide to revive the court, to revive the Munkach court, which essentially didn't exist at that point. And they crown him as the rabbi. He's young, and it starts off for a short time in Williamsburg, but very soon moves to Borough Park, and it becomes the center, the headquarters of the Munkach Hasidic court. Um, another one was Novominsk. Um, the Novominsk uh, Hasidic court, Nachem Mordechai Perlau, he starts off in the Lower East Side and later in Crown Heights. And it's only his son, Rabbi Yaakov Perlau, the late Novominsk Rebbe, who just passed away. We also had a tribute episode to that he arrives in Borough Park in the 1970s and he establishes his base medish of the Novominsk Hasidic Court and especially his yeshiva, which became a very prominent yeshiva. And he oversaw its building and development. And that's, again, a yeshiva in Borough Park. And I mentioned in part one, there were many, many yeshivas. The Vialopol Yeshiva, and there was Reb Chaim Epstein, who was a Lakewood a Talmud, who had a yeshiva there, and and you could go on and on, Reb Yom Pollard, and there was other Hasidic yeshivas, and big and small, and many many yeshivas, along with all these uh, courts and shtibels, and and uh, you know you have a presence of of almost every Hasidic movement and dynasty in the world, you have a presence, either the headquarters, the main one, the Rebbe, or at least a, a prominent shul or shtibel in Barabarki, a place like Spinka and Satmar and Vizhnitz and Ger and Bells and Kleisenberg and Skolen and Siget and Boston and Pupa and Skver and hundreds. I mean, just to list through them it would, would be a full episode. Just to actually, literally... Uh, go through the names of the different uh, shtibels that are there would be an entire episode. And each one had, many of them have institutions and schools. Um, and, uh, so you have, you have that. What's interesting is that you have a significant amount of Sephardic uh, Jews, many of them Israeli, who uh, at some point moved to, 
uh, United States for economic opportunity. And even more interestingly, you have a Yemenite, a presence of Temani, of Yemenite uh, Jews who settled down in Borough Park in an earlier period, I think, I think even pre-war, if I'm not mistaken, and they have their own synagogues and where they, where they keep the Yemenite customs. And so you have the Yemenite Jewry presence in Borough Park as well. So interesting story what you have in Borough Park in the 1970s is what almost happened, what happened in many other New York City Jewish neighborhoods starts to happen in Borough Park. And Ramesh Sher, who is another very famous and prominent Borough Park resident, the president and longtime leader of Agudis Yisrael of America, he essentially goes ahead and he goes about to save the neighborhood. In the mid-1970s, the neighborhood begins to go into the decline, which was happening to many New York City neighbors at the time, and it was on the verge of becoming the next Crown Heights or one of the many other former Jewish neighborhoods in New York City, like the South Bronx or Brownsville or East New York or Bedford-Stuyvesant or Harlem in Manhattan or East Flatbush, Canarsie, and many, many more. So Rabbi Sher lives in Borough Park. It's, now it's his own neighborhood. It's in his backyard. And the Agudis Yisrael goes ahead and founds what becomes to be known as the South Brooklyn Community Organization, the SBCO. And he appoints a fellow by the name of Shmuel Lefkowitz to head a board of directors, which included secular and even non-Jews who were involved as well. Why? Because it's about saving a city neighborhood. It's working with the city of New York. It's working with the state government. It's working with the federal government. And this is more sophisticated than anything the Agudis Yisrael in America had ever done till that point. And they had the ear of Ed Koch, the mayor of New York at the time, and they start all kinds of building on the periphery of the neighborhood. They got the Ford Foundation to give them a grant, and they got funding from all kinds of government programs. It's a fantastic story, and it really stopped the deterioration of the neighborhood, and it kept Jews in Borough Park and, and in Brooklyn. I mean, the impact of saving Borough Park, uh, the ripple effect of that, you know, has is on the entire, the entire Jewish community of Brooklyn. Who knows what if there would have been a complete flight from Borough Park, then I don't know how many how it would have been sustainable to stay in Brooklyn altogether, and we could be looking at Jews only living in the suburbs. Which I don't know if you know people look at that as a, as a as a pity that it didn't happen, or as a great thing that it didn't happen. But you know that's your choice. This is just the historical process of what did happen. Um, you know, eventually it allowed Borough Park not just to survive, but actually to expand, which it still is doing till today. It's still expanding and growing neighborhood. Uh, the, the, it's really a great story, and it's uh, the details of it are pretty much laid out at length in the Art Scroll biography book of Ramesh Sher by uh, Jonas and Rosenblum. And it's, it was, I didn't even follow the whole thing. It was too many legal and real estate terms, and but it, it was a, a fascinating story. I want to put it into a different historical context, and that's the context of Agudas Yisrael. Very interesting, what struck me when I read this story. Um, this was an Agudas Yisrael program, or was it an independent program that was initiated by Ramesh Sher of Agudas Yisrael? Meaning, it's to save a New York City neighborhood. It's to save, presumably, for all the residents of the neighborhood. Whatever it means, saving, and, you know, I don't Whatever I'm, I'm not making any political statement. Whatever, whatever, to retain the neighborhood for its residents. Whatever, whatever the PC way is to say it. Anyway, so the um, so is it an Aguda program? I mean, you're talking about there's secular Jews, there's non-Jews, there's all kinds of Orthodox Jews who don't subscribe to the Agudas Yisrael. Right? The Baba Verebba was never on the Mayatzes of Agudas Yisrael, and neither was the Satmar Shtibel. So, like, what, what was 
what was this program? Was it a good program just working for everyone? So it seems interesting. And they took this role upon themselves, um, together with non-Jews on the board, right? Is that a good uh, policy to work with non-Jews? Uh, I don't know if that was the way the German the Jewish uh, Hersheyan founders of the Aguda back in Frankfurt saw the organization, but uh, Aguda Israel of America perhaps worked differently. Um, another f- fascinating tidbit of this story was that at one point they built a building which would be some sort of community center for recreational activities, and they asked the Moetzes Gedele Hatayr of Aguda Israel of America if they can build a swimming pool. And the Moetzes Gedele Hatayr deliberated on the matter, and they gave, they submitted their answer was that they should not build a swimming pool because they don't want to have the responsibility for a good Israel to run a swimming pool and the insurance and all that. What, what, what I was flabbergasted by was that they actually asked the Mayatis this question. And in the Polish Agudas Israel pre-war and in the Israel Aguda post-war, they passed over questions of much more fundamental importance. They went ahead without asking the Mayatis. They pretty much decided on their own. And here in the Agudah in America, they went ahead and asked the Mayatis what would seem to be a, a trivial question. So I also want to point out that as a historical phenomenon. While this is happening, the JDL, the Jewish Defense League of Mayor Kahana, is actually fighting. There's fights that break out at the periphery of the neighborhoods. You're talking about it's a really desperate situation, and Ramesh Shasher came in to save the day uh, and save the neighborhood. Um, and then we have the development of 13th Avenue. The whole shopping of 13th Avenue and the stores and the culture of that shopping and which develops already in the 1970s and 80s as the neighborhood is booming and growing. And, uh, and, and one of the things that I noticed uh, when I, when I toured in, in Borough Park with my kids last year was that the banks are open on Sunday. I thought I was back in Israel. The banks are open on Sunday. And then it's probably the only place in the entire United States of America that the banks are open on Sunday. And, uh, you know, going shopping on 13th Avenue is the highlight of every out-of-town eighth grade uh, field trip, uh, graduation trip to New York. They go to visit New York and they come from whatever out-of-town place they have. And and then the uh, most exciting part of the trip is to go shopping for an hour on 13th Avenue. So don't take it for granted, the shopping on 13th Avenue. It could be the highlight of a little kid's life. Uh, one of the stories in Borough Park history is the story of Ramanasha Klein, amazing uh, resident of the neighborhood, the Ungvarov, who um, we built a base medrash and later becomes the Ungvar Rebbe. He survives the Holocaust, Auschwitz, and other camps, Buchenwald. And uh, he's friends with Eli Wiesel, actually, from before the war in Hungary. And Ungvar becomes like a community of Hungarian, mostly Holocaust survivors, in the middle of Bar Park. It becomes like this close-knit community. They had their own mikvah, their own base medrash, their own yeshiva. He was a huge paisik. He wrote a multi-volume work, the Mishnah Halachis. He's buried in Tzfas, actually. When we go do the tours of, uh, either virtual or live tours of the Tzfas uh, Jewish Cemetery up north, we stop by his cover. It's in prime real estate right near the Arizal. Amazing that he was able to get it there. But he lived in the remote neighborhood in Yerushalayim in his later years, and he built an Ungvar community there as well. And he was, of course, involved in the, another chapter of Borough Park history, the controversy surrounding the construction of the Borough Park Eruv. Ramanasha Klein approved it. He didn't just approve it. He was very heavily involved in initiating it and building it. Ramesha Bick, who was another prominent, major prominent place in the United States, he opposed it. And the Debrecener of 
Ramesha Stern also probably opposed it. And many other rabbis got involved in opposing and supporting, and it was a very bitter dispute back and forth and misunderstandings and all kinds of questions and and but area of disputes have been have a long history in the Jewish people, and it actually also can be its own topic, uh, exciting area of disputes throughout history. And we know that Dafyami is studying Erevin now, so it's also an apropos uh, uh, topic. Another long-time uh, story in Borough Park, still around. Moshe Wolfson, may he live and be well. And the Moonies, the Moonas um, Yisrael community, shul, whatever you want to call it. Moshe Wolfson was an old student of Rabbi Shraga Feivel Mendelovich in the Taravidas Yeshiva when he was still in Williamsburg, and Rabbi Gedalia Shore, and Rabbi Yaga Kamenetsky, really, also. And then he continues on with the position of a mashkiach in, uh, in Taravidas, but he opens his own shul and a Hasidic group in Barra Park, and, uh, which is an interesting phenomenon, and there's much to talk about that, especially the post-war, the, uh, the idea that, that there's Hasidic courts that are established that are not dynasties and not formal courts in the accepted sense of the word. And in fact, these people are not really called Rebbes even. They're called very often people like Ramesha Wolfson. He's probably the first one to do it. A mashpia, someone who's, who influences others. And it's almost like a throwback to the original, simple, balshemtiv chasidus, uh, teaching and reaching out to people and not the established formal courts that developed, especially in the 19th century, but the post-war era because of the reestablishment because of the new geographical locations, the new cities, the new neighborhoods, the fact that it was a broken generation, many orphans, many young people who were lost, and you had these mashpiim uh, arise, and it especially has become even more popular in recent years, and that they become a different and, and an additional um, added depth into the Hasidic world. Of course, we can talk about Borrow Park, without mentioning a very important Borrow Park feature, the marvelous Midos machine. And when A.B. Rottenberg decides to set it, it happens just like I mentioned in part one about how Country Yossi sets Kivi and Tuki in Borrow Park. So A.B. Rottenberg sets marvelous Midos machine in Borrow Park. And they even, you know, made, made some like very Borrow Park uh, scenes there. There's a wedding scene, and I forget which one that is. I think in, in number three with the time machine and some like very distinctive uh, uh, features of, of uh, Borough Park lore, which I found to be uh, very accurate in his portrayal of the culture and the life in, in the 1960s and then later in the 1980s. There is some um, an amazing amount of very, very impressive personalities who were residents of Borough Park um, uh, over the years. And I want to mention a few of them. Again, I'm not mentioning all of them because I would not be able to. It would just It'd be impossible. So I'm going to just mention a sprinkling to get a feel of what the uh, diversity of, of what this neighborhood has produced uh, in it, as its residents over the years. I mentioned earlier Reb Meisha Bick, um, who came from a long line of uh, rabbis in Mezhebish, in the hometown of the Baal Shem Tev. And he, uh, as a child, lived in communist-controlled, uh, in, the so- in the Soviet Union, Mezhebish was in those days, uh, where his father was the rabbi, and they are able to get out, and he comes to the United States where he grows up in the Bronx, and from Mezhebish he goes to to Yeshiva University, to Yeshiva Benitz Gilchanan, where he be, where he studies there. And from there he becomes a rabbi in a big place in Borough Park. So it's a, one of the greatest uh, life journeys ever, from Mezhebish to YU to Borough Park, it would actually make a great book title, and one of the most respected Paiskim in the world. 
Um, he also had a phenomenal sense of humor. Um, he was once asked if he should, if, if one must uh, bless the the blessing of Hagoimel, thanking God for uh, for saving his life because he was supposed to make a bus and he missed the bus and the bus crashed. So Ramayisha Bik responded, you know, I had a very similar question the other day. Um, I, my my wife put my pants in the laundry and I saw the way it was turning around in the washing machine. I said, wow, if I had been wearing those pants, I would have been knocked around and I probably would have all kinds of lesions in my head and, and everything. So I also thought maybe I should bless uh, Hagaymal. So that's the type of uh, sense of humor he had. A, a very amazing person. Um, Rav Meisha Stern was the Debretziner Rav. Debretzin was a very large town. You know, it's still large. I, I, just, I flew, I've flown out of Debretzin. When you're in Karasteri, you sometimes fly out of Debretzin. So it's big enough to have an airport. Not a very large airport, but it's a large, it's a, it's a city, you know, relatively. Uh, so he was a rabbi there and he was a Paisic in Hungary and a survivor of the Holocaust. And he becomes a prominent uh, Paisic in Borough Park after the war. And uh, Alan Dershowitz, the famous Harvard law professor and you know, he's always in the news and he's written books and he's, you know, a, a prominent personality in the law world and he has a lot to say about all kinds of things and people have a lot to say about him in all kinds of ways also. So he's a Borough Park native as well, as is David Geffen, who's a Hollywood magnet, a, a business magnet, a Hollywood great, a producer. Um, he was the founder and owner of DreamWorks, um, a very... A prominent individual in the Hollywood world. I don't know about in the Jewish world. And he had a, uh, a, a gorgeous, huge, beautiful Malibu beach home, um, which had, which, which he went through a court battle of Malibu beach access, um, giving the public access. I was at that beach on my visit to LA. I went to check out that beach and I was at Malibu and I saw David Geffen's house. So he grew up in Bar Park in the, 1940s and 50s. Sandy Koufax, uh, Sandy Koufax of the Brooklyn and later LA Dodgers, a Jewish legend in baseball. He grew up partly in Bensonhurst, which is not that far away, but also in, in Borough Park. Um, going back to Paiskim, um, and great uh, rabbinic leaders, so may live and be well, is still around, Reb Chatzkel Roth, the Carlsberger Rub, who grew up in Romania. And then he moves to Israel in the 1950s. He was the rabbi in the Satmar Shtibel in Katamon in Yerushalayim, of all places. And the Satmar Rav asked him to move to the United States to be a Paisik and uh, participate in his Besdin. So he is a prominent uh, rabbi in Paisik in Borough Park and really his influence is uh, way beyond that uh, till today. I would like to uh, mention um, two Two, sometimes you don't research history, sometimes you live through a historic occurrence and it makes such a lasting impression that you understand as, as you, you know, trace that memory that, that, that you lived through a piece of history and you retain it as a piece of history. It's not something you read in a book, it's not something you read up as a historian or research, but it's something that you remember and it clearly stands out as a tremendous historical occurrence that uh, that re- remains with you. Um, so the f- and and two that that took place uh, involving Borough Park was one one of the most tragic stories in recent history. And I remember the day it happened, and I'm sure all our listeners do as well. 
uh, was the murder, the abduction and murder of Leiby Kletsky in 2011, which was a devastating tragedy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember someone describing it ap very aptly at the time that it was the 9-11 of the religious world in New York. It was this, this tragedy that it was, you know, hard to recover from and the impact that it had and the changes in, in the way, you know, people approach child safety and all related things. And it's just a, a terrible story of uh, what could happen uh, um, to a, a Jewish child. And another one that I go back to even further to when I was a child, I remember happening, was the story of Suri Feldman, which didn't happen in Borough Park, but Suri Feldman was from a Borough Park family, and the school that she was with was a Borough Park girls' school. And they went to a trip like our school in Muncie. They did like every, I think every single school in New York did, to Old Sturbridge Village to go, or Museum Village, one of those uh, villages where they have all the, everything like in colonial times and the Revolutionary War period, and it's a place of history, and the people dress there like colonial times, and you can make candles and 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 see the farm and everything. And she goes there, and high school trip to Old Sturbridge Village, and she gets lost in the forest, and there are search teams, and these type of tragedies that we experience very often bring out the best of the Jewish community, people working together, people who don't know each other, people from diverse backgrounds, and I remember that happened at that time, and there was people davening in their prayers all over the world, and when she's finally found, that this story has a happier ending, this was in the May of 1994, so about 26 years ago, so it almost is history, and uh, she was safe, she was basically okay, and uh, she kept her composure. She, you know, it was, a, it was a great story. So, um, so the, you know that that uh, that this, this, this both these stories happened in, you know, to mainstream the Borough Park families and people, and it made these uh, stories very real. Another uh, prominent, and we go to some present day figures who are part of history. We have uh, prominent individuals who are residents of Borough Park or former residents of Borough Park. You have. A person like Rabbi Gavriel Zinner, the Nite Gavriel, student of the Puparov, Rabbi Yosef Greenwald, someone who I thought was, when I originally saw his uh, his books, uh, Nite Gavriel, I thought this is someone from 200 years ago. He wrote 40, 50 Svarim, which are popular and sold, and people study them. This person must be from a different generation. I found out that he's a rabbi in, in Borough Park, and he's still, you know, relatively... Not, uh, not young, but you know, there, you know, there is from our generation, a uh, very prominent uh, f feature in Borough Park. And I'm just giving that as an example because there's so many people throughout Borough Park's history who, because the neighborhood is so big, is just so much full of them. Um, the prominent, uh, as in the news recently, the prominent uh, Israeli politician Gerich Hasid Yaakov Litzman was the son of Polish Holocaust survivors. I think he was even born in a displaced persons camp. But he grew up in Borough Park. And he, you know, before going to study in Israel in the yeshiva as a teenager, and he just stayed there. So I guess his political savvy, or lack thereof, depending on what your opinion is, uh, it must have come from Borough Park. It must have come from growing up in the legendary uh, streets of, uh, of uh, Borough Park uh, at that time. Um, Joseph Kamenetsky, the head, uh, Dr. Joseph Kamenetsky, the head of Torah Masora, was a Borough Park resident, and Torah Masora and, and uh, Kamenetsky's role in it is something that we definitely have to devote uh, another uh, episode to. Um, a graduate of the Eitz Chaim School, which I mentioned in part one, 
was, uh, was someone who grew up in Borough Park, Zachariah Bauma. Zachary, he was called, but when he moved to Israel, he was Zachariah Bauma, who was tragically killed in the First Lebanon War, and he became classified as one of the only, uh, uh, you know, MIAs, uh, missing in action. His body, you know, was missing for many, many years, and it was only recently returned. That was a tremendous thing. I remember Rabbi Aaron Rakefet was involved with it, and the family, and, um, and the, uh, and the, 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 to, to bring his body back, and, and he was a soldier in the Israeli army who was killed in, in Lebanon, and terrorists were able to get the body, and a whole tragic story, but the happy ending was is that they were able to get it back and get closure on that story and give him a Jewish burial with full military honors. So that's, again, just another little taste of Borough Park, and will suffice with two parts to this story. This was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, you can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, tours, trips, sponsorships, lectures, and you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.